0: Today's episode is brought to you by Rootless Coffee Company. Rootless is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARD TIMES at checkout when you visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time, break free from boring. Welcome to the First Ever Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bolm. If this happens to be your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. I am pre-recording this a little earlier than I normally do. I'm, uh, I'm talking to you on a Thursday. I leave for tour on the 21st, Tuesday the 21st, to start driving towards Birmingham, Alabama to uh, play Furnace Fest, and then a couple of days later, meet up with Thrice in Atlanta, Georgia, to start a five-week tour together. So uh, I'm talking to you on the 22nd here, and um, I'm probably somewhere in New Mexico on that drive. And uh, as I was thinking about all these episodes I had to rack up, I, it was last week, and I, saw, and I said to myself, my God, I haven't had Dustin on. We're about to be on tour together. Wouldn't that be a good idea to promote the tour through this podcast like a professional? So I reached out. Dustin and I don't know each other. We're about to spend a lot of time together, but uh, we've been around each other once or twice. Certainly been in a lot of the same rooms, a lot of the same conversation circles, but definitely do not know each other. So this was fun. It was like a an early getting to know you conversation before we actually uh, are going to you know be spending a lot of time on the road. And uh, it was great. I I really enjoyed it. And I think you will, too, especially if you are a fan of Thrice. We get through a lot of things. We learn a lot about Dustin's early days and uh, a lot about, I guess, just Thrice in general. But before we get there, let's talk about my friends over at Discovered Magazine. Discovered is a international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER, spelled out, when you visit store.dscvrd.co. If you have not checked out Discovered Magazine, seriously do it. They are fantastic. They're covering a lot of punk and hardcore bands that don't get the love and attention uh, that they deserve from a lot of the bigger outlets, so Discovered truly has their ear to the ground and... Doing it for all the right reasons. Um also I want to add if uh you're looking for more Dustin content, head on over to my Patreon. That's patreon.com/slash the first ever Patreon, where there's a bonus episode. Subscribers were able to submit questions to Dustin ahead of this interview. And in this bonus content, he's answering those questions. If this kind of thing interests you, subscribe. You'll find out who's coming on. You get the ability to uh, ask some questions and eventually they might be answered. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with my upcoming tour mate. I hope to see you out on this tour. It's going to be a blast. It's our first shows back. Their first shows back. They got a new record and uh, we're finally getting to play our, re- our newest record. So it's uh, it's a celebration. Hope to see you out there. Enjoy this conversation. Here's me talking to Dustin Kenzaru. Dustin, thank you so much for for hanging out on such short notice. We're about to we're about to be on tour together, and we've never really spent too much time talking. So this is this is kind of like a fun. Um, it's almost like an interview process for our friendship.
1: Yeah, it's good because I'm always uh, I'm like the most hermity tour person. Uh, I a lot of it because I have like social anxiety, and then I am worried i don't know people's names or position in a band
0: and then i'd hide so uh, <laughs> are you kind of... yeah has it always kind of been that way or did that happen more over time because i know some people because of tour almost socially regress because of those sorts of uh anxieties whereas when you start maybe you're you're way more outgoing cuz you're excited about being on the road and the new experiences and stuff
1: yeah i think it's probably Gone way more that way, uh and part of it is like having <laughs> like I can actually hermit in a in the bus or you know like so uh and i I like just i chill in the back lounge and actually try to get like work done back there quite a bit, um so i have an excuse, but uh <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I mean, I think some of it too is like when I was younger, like there was all this uh excitement of wow, what's happening, and it was like overpowering the anxiety stuff that i had you know and then over time like that just has crept crept up um yeah but i don't no, know I I, as i honestly like i i try to do it's not gonna help with mass this tour but like I, i've been I, like other, certain tours i've tried to get like everyone's like faces and names like on a sheet so like i actually then can be proactive and be like okay I i know this person i know their name at least like i can be friendly so
0: We, uh, Uh, in in the Touche van, we do a thing. (laughs) It's every tour where after maybe like day two, we'll, we'll, we'll in the van, we'll have the talk. We'll be like, all right, who do we got? We got, and we'll like, like, like thrice. All right. Drummer is blah, blah. And like, everyone will kind of like do, do the thing where we all report on what we've learned. So we all collectively can, can, yeah, exactly do that sort of a thing. But it happens every tour where it's like, okay, who do we got? (laughs) And and you kind of go through. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when do you, you guys leave Hellasoon? Because you guys you obviously start. Uh, do you guys start at, at Riot Fest and then go to no, Texas? No, we
1: we fly out to Riot Fest, fly back, and then load the bus up, and then
0: fly meet it in Texas. So, got it. And are th- uh, this is going to be your first shows right since everything shut down? Yes. How are you feeling about it?
1: Uh. Riley, Riley tweeted uh, the gif of uh, the dude in Big Lebowski when he's like his eyes are like <laughs> opening and he's like trying to look. I I don't know what what part of the movie is that he's looking. Uh, at, he's
0: looking. Oh, he's at looking at
1: the the drawing. The drawing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's that. Like that's how we feel.
0: That's perfect. Just like, uh, what's What's happening? Yeah, because you also have a record that comes out Friday, so it's like the the culmination yeah, so of all so, of those yeah. sorts of things yeah uh
1: no, but we're really excited to actually play music and for the record to come out, so
0: have you been rehearsing a lot or not really?
1: yeah, uh, almost every day, so first was like getting you know your head wrapped around how do we actually play these new parts and sing while we're doing it, and all that kind of stuff and then it's been um just like going in and running the set and going home um and then I'm hitting the point now where it's like, that's like the best thing to do. Cause it's just, it gets you in the groove. Like, you know, what song is coming next, you know how to transition it. But then I start to hit a point because it's not an actual show that my brain just starts checking out. And like, then it, I feel like it's almost like worse to keep going because I'm just like, I start playing worse because my brain is thinking about all this other stuff and it's not, not focused anymore. So,
0: uh, have you, like when you guys were writing the new record, um, you guys were obviously all playing together, but now that you, the record's done and recorded, ha- like are there songs that you guys haven't played all together since you <clears throat> recorded, obviously? Like it's kind of like that relearning process with the new record because maybe you tried new things in the studio that you hadn't tried all together. So now that like that aspect is new.
1: Yeah, and it's always new. Yeah, because we'll switch parts around who's playing what and uh, I mean, uh there's definitely times where, you know, I'll play a part that ends up being, you know, what he's going to play or I mean really all all over the place with that kind of stuff. So um like it's just like there'll be a part where I like, oh, would double this part like uh for like my guitar coming in here. We didn't do that and I'm like I don't even know how for that part. I just play it on the recording and then I'll play it later. But right. Um so yeah, learning that. But most mostly it's like the weirdness of like certain parts then learning to like sing over while you're playing for me at least and then there's a there's a song in the record where it's a weird part like i wrote this bass line and guitar part and they're both kind of interweaving in weird ways and then the vocal is doing a different thing over it and we're all having to sing and play on that part and it's it's (laughs) it's, it's definitely the hardest It wouldn't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it would seem like it hearing it, but it's definitely the hardest thing that we're doing on the new thing.
0: Yeah. Those moments are always funny. You just kind of look at each other and you're like, what did we do to ourselves? Yeah. Cause this, I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, this shows, you know, it's all about first experiences and things like that. So the first question I usually ask musicians is uh, when you were young, what was the first thing that you connected with musically? Something that maybe wasn't something that was around the house with your parents and stuff, but something that felt like it was yours
1: oh okay that that way that's hard i feel like there's like a lot of like mini moments there um the biggest one i think for me like biggest shift in that regard was like finding punk rock and because i i you know i grew up listening to a bunch of my dad's records and then cds that he had and um so you know and then you know kind of pop music on the radio or whatever but like finding punk rock I was in a I don't know what I knew of punk rock at that time other than you know just what was kind of in the air but I didn't know anyone listened to anything or whatever and I I was at a record store in by my grandparents house in the mall and there was a punk section so I was looking through it and I (laughs) saw a card that said screeching weasel and I was like whoa that sounds sounds intense (laughs) and uh (laughs) picked up anthem for new tomorrow and, and they were my favorite band for a really long time and oh got wow me, got me into punk rock and that was hugely informative to to my life to this day so. so
0: uh yeah it sounded like you had you had uh you had some stuff from your parents so that you were actually also connected uh connecting with you were, you know you mentioned your 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 parents like cds and stuff what uh what was that
1: so a lot of a lot of classic rock um I was really um grew up on a ton of Beatles, um okay. but then also just i would go through his he had big like he put it all in these the, the big booklets back that. he was like very early adopter of any tech stuff so he was buying cds before that was like when really they came in the thing. huge box yeah and there was like yeah. just one little cd store in town um so he had all these cds and i would just go through and like pick stuff out that looked interesting to me or that I knew a little bit about or something. And I'd bring those in my room, listen to them. So like Stone, Zeppelin, Cat Stevens. um, Yeah. Just a bunch of, bunch of stuff from late sixties, early seventies. Sounds like
0: you had a a great taste in music. I mean, the, with that question, usually it's because like a lot of kids normally like, revolt against what their parents are listening to you know there are the occasions where they actually are excited about what their parents like but it sounds like yeah it sounds like uh that's a good that's a that's a good uh selection to uh yeah. been able to grow with
1: yeah, it was that stuff and then like the earliest stuff that i really remember digging on was like uh michael jackson when i was like super young i was always very very into that i had uh a red and black jacket, you know, my, my <laughs> friller jacket.
0: It's funny. That's, that's kind of been a theme on the show. I think, I think it was, yeah, it was Anthony green. Uh, he and I bonded over that because, uh, as a kid too, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have the red one, but I just put like, just I had like a little denim jacket that I just covered in like, you know, there were like buttons probably from like universal studios or something, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I thought I was awesome. You know, like I, I, yeah, I, I loved, you know, like the bad music video when you see that when you're like a little kid, you're like, "Oh, yeah. this is the this is the definition of cool." <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's were your uh, were your folks musical at all? Like, did they did they play in any bands or anything like that?
1: No, not really. Um, my dad's dad sang like opera. Apparently, I we have like records of it. My brother's actually about to transfer some to like. Digital, oh, that's awesome. But, um, and then my grandma was like a total ham and would sing and stuff but uh yeah just no, no one like super super musical at least in you know my parents did your
0: grandf did your grandfather uh i don't know how much you know about the opera stuff but was that here in california or was that it,
1: I, like elsewhere i mean it wasn't like it wasn't professionally but there's like recordings of it so it, hmm. I mean, it's maybe semi i don't know what i don't know the whole deal about it but uh yeah,
0: got it, got it. Um, when you were, do, you remember what your first concert was?
1: Yeah, I have like two answers to this because one, it's kind of my first. Like, there are two different things. So one, one it was like I was in the nosebleeds at a Paul McCartney show. Oh, that's uh, cool at like uh, Angel Stadium. But it was—I mean, so far back, but still, you know, it's an experience. You were present. Uh, you were there. there. Um, but the first, like. And I don't think this is. I'd probably seen shows at like a church or something before this, but the first like show that I really remember, like, this is, this is like insane, was, uh, I had an older friend that lived next door. So he was like 16 and I was probably 13 or 14 and he could drive. And so, like, he started taking me shows and went to Snapcase. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah, that's like the one that really stuck and kind of blew my mind. So. Was
0: that a like chain
1: or? It was at, um, it was in Riverside at, I always forget the name of this place. I went in, there all the time. It was like the spot for a while. Um,
0: in Riverside?
1: Showcase Theater, I think. Oh,
0: oh, oh, like yeah. Corona. Yeah, 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 Corona, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Was, yeah, um, that's awesome. You, was that, how would, you, would, would that have been like Progression been like, Era? It'd have
1: been probably ninety four.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: So like,
0: yeah, that would. Uh, I look just looking glass, look glass self. And, yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's the one that I remember really getting into, and they played there. So.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I yeah. uh snapcase was my accidental first hardcore show because I went to go see Far at the Roxy in like ninety so good. in like nine yeah totally in like ninety eight, and right before Far went on. Uh, Jonah, wait, what did
1: did I say? Two thousand? You said ninety four. Ninety four, yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh,
0: and you jo- said ninety eight. I was like, that sounds so long ago. But I was like, <laughs> like, like yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jonah goes up to the mic and he was like, hey, uh before we play some song, before we play, we're gonna let our friends come up and play some songs. They're called Snapcase, and I'm like the smallest person. I'm like. I'm like 13 or 14 years old or something. And I'm like right up front. I had no idea what I was about to, what it was about to happen.
1: That's so random. So they just, they didn't even have like their instruments. They just came and played.
0: They just, yeah. And it's funny because my other band, Hesitation Wounds, just a couple, you know, the last show I ever got, I got to play before the shutdown was, uh, they did the California Takeover uh, again, like the anniversary of it at the Teragram here in LA. Mm -hmm. So it was like Earth Crisis, Snapcase, Strife. My band Hesitation Wounds got to open it and, Uh, I talked to the guys in Snapcase backstage about it. I was like, yo, you guys were actually my first accidental hardcore show because and then they were like, yeah, we were just in town and Jonah called us and was like, hey, you should come up and play, you know, whatever. And they were like, I guess we have nothing else to do. Let's, Let's do it. And they played and it was like around the time progression had come out so they play I remember they opened with caboose cuz that's like you can't forget that intro so you know like that's that's what opened that all up to me where I was like oh my god I was terrified but at the same time like it made such an impact you know That's
1: right um man far so good uh I saw far at showcase and nice. I'm pretty sure it was this show it, it was like a far show and Jonah had everyone sit down for a, a song and he was like like story time i don't know it was so awesome <laughs> so i was sitting down <laughs> on the disgusting floor in there
0: oh man. i got to, yeah i got to see them twice back then i saw them at that show at the roxy and then i saw them at the troubadour and i'll never forget because the local on the show is alien ant farm and oh. yeah that hmm. that's a, it's a band maybe don't forget and they covered they did the the michael jackson cover at that show and i was like made an impression and then it was like a year and a half later they were all over the radio doing that and i was like wow what a weird <laughs> weird you know coincidence um when did you start was uh, was guitar your first instrument is that like always been the the one you started with or did you ever play anything else i played
1: piano when i was third fourth grade kind of thing and my mom wanted me to play that before i played guitar um which I think it was a smart call, but I didn't totally appreciate it at the time. Uh, do you?
0: Yeah. Uh, forgive me for asking if this is like an obvious thing, but do you do you use any piano stuff for thrice?
1: I mean, I definitely it gave me a foundation, and I, I think the piano is helpful because it's so visual. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave me a lot of foundation for uh, just understanding the way you know chords are built and stuff like that so i mean i i do write some stuff on piano but uh, okay
0: but yeah i can see how that helps with yeah as you were saying like building chords and kind of understanding probably just like notes and how they interact and work together and stuff um
1: yeah yeah and it's fun to write on an instrument that's not your main instrument too because go to different places and
0: sure did you have to do like recitals and all that sort of stuff when you were young Uh yeah
1: yeah and you like you get the little uh Well, at least we would we, you'd get a like a little plastic bust of like a famous composer after the recital, like like a trophy, but it was just a little a little plastic bust of like Tchaikovsky or something.
0: Oh, interesting. Was that through school or is that like a outside? Yeah, private thing. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, That's cool. You even retained any of that stuff. Usually, when you're that young, and it's maybe not that. Was it an interest to you? Like, did you enjoy taking it?
1: Yeah, I think I did. Um, I just, but I definitely wanted to play guitar in the future.
0: So Mm. I don't know. And what did that into your life?
1: Uh, junior high. Um, there was like guitar class you could take, um, which was mostly everyone just sitting around, like trying to play stairway to heaven and stuff like that. Um, or Metallica. And, um, and I took, I did take some private lessons for a very short while. Um, a guy named Carl uh, at Jim's Music. He was great, but uh, I didn't. I never practiced really. Like I didn't. Um, I started like leading worship at like youth group, like because I could play like three chords and no one else played anything. And mm-hmm. so like just sitting around and playing, or I I would just always have my guitar with me, just trying to figure out songs I liked and singing, and um, that that's how I got better was just playing stuff that I wanted to, but I never really practice the scales or whatever. Sure. Uh,
0: with when talking to people who, you know, started playing guitar, there's always like a funny moment. Um, I always, I played guitar in bands before I sang and everything like that. And I, you kind of like remember when you learn how to do a bar chord, because when that, when that moment happens is when you're like, Oh wait, now I can <laughs> actually play all the songs that I want to play. Yeah. And all of the, you know, the important uh, learning how to read music learning all that kind of goes kind of away because you're like oh wait now now I can actually just do what I've been wanting to do this whole time uh, do you remember anything like that happening with you yeah I mean I
1: think I don't know my favorite like turning point in like playing guitar was and it's I, I guess it's a bit of a gradual thing but like as it starts to happen when you start to be able to feel what chord comes next so like just a song you haven't played before. you're like, Oh, I know the next chord is here. Like you, your hand just moves there and you're like, yes. Cause like you start to understand the relationships yeah. and how, how it feels like that. That was really cool for me. Um, and, and then you also, that's when you have the moment where you're like, you try to play a Beatles song that, you know, that sounded really simple and you're like, what are they doing? Like that, <laughs> They have some of the weirdest chord changes, things that are like, it's, they're so subtle and you don't notice it. And then you're trying to figure it out and you're like, I, I got to look this up. I don't know what's happening.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, our bass player, Tyler, um, I think he spent the entirety of uh this entire you know the whole the entirety of covid basically just learning how to play Beatles songs on guitar like every time you talk to tyler you're like hey what have you been up to he's like uh doing yoga learning how to play Beatles songs (laughs) yeah
1: that's very yeah (laughs) tepe tepe will do that too just pick up something like oh yeah i I relearned how to play classical guitar
0: right great cool yeah um (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, like you do
0: um when you were talking about how, like, when you that moment when you realize you're like, oh, that's what's going to come next, I, I, I immediately thought of, I think, when I was learning how to play Santa Monica from uh, Everclear, like, after okay. that, dun, 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 being like, wait, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, I got it, you know, like, it's so simple, but um, I feel like that was one of the first times for me where I was like, oh, shit, this, I think I, I think I know how to play this, you know? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, did you start bands? Uh, shortly after Kind of like Getting your head Wrapped around guitar Or Did that take some time
1: Um I started playing With my buddy Kent And we The two of us Were playing like Um This was just in his garage We never did anything with it But uh We were calling ourselves The Typicals I think And we <laughs> Were playing very Like kind of east bay kind of ramonesy lookout kind of stuff oh, okay um and yeah so that's one. <laughs> and, and how old are you then like
0: 13 14
1: probably yeah 14 15 uh maybe 16
0: did that Somewhere band there, yeah. did
1: that band play shows no nothing no it was just i mean it was just we had like maybe two songs kind of and just like just, garage after just, school yeah and not not a ton, but it was fun. Um, and then I had a friend, another friend that played drums and Tepe and I and uh, the this guy Jason who played drums and our friend Robert had a band for like a hot second. That was, we played one outdoor like outdoor coffee shop fundraiser thing for something. Um, And we had like two originals. We played a Blink cover. Nice. Uh,
0: I was playing bass in that band. Um, If you were to think about like what your first show was, is that kind of what comes to mind as like the first show you ever played? I think so.
1: Um, I mean, as like a band, I had played little – I would play... I would go, like, busk and stuff down by the oh. beach with my, with my buddy. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I... Yeah, but that was, like, first show with, like, a band. Um, and, yeah, so that didn't... That was the only thing I think we ever did. And then me and Tevin were like, like we're going to start a real band. We're going to, like, really do this. And, yeah. Uh,
0: so. I just had a memory. I've, I'm pretty sure I saw you solo in Ventura with Rocky Votolato? Would that makes sense. Maybe in like the mid 2000s. Um I feel like you I feel like that would have been with Rocky Votolato. Um the, here's it,
1: the sad part. My yeah. brain is doing this thing right now where it's like that sounds fun. Did you do that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, it was it was that uh it was Yes, this...
1: I definitely played a couple of shows with Rocky. It was yeah. so long ago. Um, so long
0: ago, yeah. And I remember at the show, is there a chance that you covered Counting Crows?
1: Yeah, I probably covered Round Here. Round Here?
0: Yeah. 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 That like you have those moments where that's like one of my like uh on our newest record I even reference Round Here. I oh, I, I take a pot shot at it where I say Round Here is an almost perfect song because that bridge is like my enemy. The it, the, wa- it the is-
1: it is an interesting shift. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. In the acoustic version, it's actually it works much better for some reason. It doesn't seem like. But do you have that across a wire record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I th- I think it's much better in that when I hear the original, I'm always like, oh god,
0: it's, it's so bad. It, it's just it's hit the wa- it made me hate the wah wah pedal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's probably yeah. That's probably the main culprit. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I I've always I joked. Forgot, was, like, yeah, I forgot. I just I just want to know who's responsible. Like who in the studio made this choice? Was it T-Bone Burnett? Like who thought this was the right move? Um yeah, I don't know. It, the the wildest thing was uh that became like a talking point for a second. And an original member of Adam Durowitz's band before counting crows called uh the Himalayans, I believe, uh reached out and messaged me and was like was like, yo, uh, I appreciate you you know, talking about this, like the song or whatever. And he sent me a video of them of it was the craziest thing. Like the Himalayans playing at Gilman Street, Whoa. which is crazy. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. And it's them playing around here. And it's like a completely different bridge. It's like a, it just like kind of just like kind of straightforward sort of like rocks or whatever. And, uh, it was just interesting to have like this conversation with this guy who was a part of the writing process of that song. I was just like, the internet is crazy. I can't believe this just happened. Um, but yeah, I remember at that show, you know, being in the room, um, and then hearing you play that song, I was like, this guy's my people, you know, like, (laughs) uh, like if, if you connected with the song, then like, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, my kind of guy right there. Um, that's good. I feel like that was probably early on for you doing solo stuff too. That had to have been right. Like 2000, like, like in that sense of like, yeah, I mean, thrice that, was already established. And then now you're doing solo probably stuff.
1: Probably a while, even before I put a solo record out, I think. Yeah. I was probably playing like some thrice stuff and some covers. Um And maybe like one or two solo songs. But yeah, that was, that was long, long ago.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Um, so was uh, that, so you said at that, the first show that you played, you guys, was it that show that you said you did like Blink Covers and a couple, and a couple originals?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think we were, I think we were calling ourselves Out of Step. Um, I'm sure there was like 8 million bands called Out of Step. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Obviously like a <laughs> Minor Threat reference. Yes. No, perfect. Uh, I feel, yeah, we had the long, the long time there when there was so many three word bands too. It's just like perfect like a lot of high school bands are always three word three word names like that too. I mean out of step is obviously the minor threat reference, but there's always um like uh, i mean I, the first thing that comes to mind is like bands like there's like the set your goals and the blah 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 yeah. but like yeah those those always uh th- those the three word band names always feel the most perfectly high school um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that is uh did that band record, or what was the first band that you recorded with
1: that w- first band recording would be thrice really yeah
0: interesting uh yeah. i i read that uh identity crisis so first i want to ask about that actually is because um i saw the original version of that uh came out on a label called green flag but then when i clicked on green flag it was like all thrice stuff is that like your was that your own label
1: it's um i worked at a record shop called green records uh, super tiny punk record store, uh, and the guys that worked there and ran it and owned it were super sweet. And, uh, they were like, do we want to help you like put out your record? Like, and made this little label to, to do it like super, super, super empowering and cool. And, um, yeah. So it was called green flag. Cause Andy green owned the, the, Record store. So,
0: where was that shop? I don't know that I ever went there.
1: Um, it moved around for a short time. It was in Orange, I think. When I worked there, it was in um, Tustin by there was like a Trader Joe's on like uh, Newport Avenue and Irvine Boulevard. Hmm. Like, there's like a T there. Um, and then it moved to Santa Anna off seventeenth and the fifty five it was like tucked back by sid's um
0: oh the tattoo shop,
1: yeah, like kind of over there wow i think, I, I don't know if it's still I think got bought and I don't know if it's still around now
0: yeah i I mean I always just was familiar with Bionic and you know the the few locations bionic had, but I don't know that I ever went to green that's interesting
1: it was great, yeah, it was fantastic, I mean it was very small but but cool
0: yeah, did it was like new and used or
1: uh yeah they're very used records and uh yeah whatever new kind of punk stuff was coming out and yeah
0: man I, it's it's blowing my mind I, I feel like it's it's you know I, I would always take trips down orange county all my friends were down there ray harkins who's a mutual friend of both of ours like mm-hmm. you know he's he's someone that uh like him and like joey cahill his the roommate he's like joey's like my best friend in the world so like yeah i would be down down there all the time they all worked at bionic and i think maybe because they worked there that just became the the spot that i would always go to but um man i'm gonna rack my brain i uh it because there was also um vinyl
1: vinyl solution final
0: solution yeah. yeah and i'm glad that place seemingly is still there i haven't been down orange county in a minute I but i think, think it's still it there. is yeah yeah i'm glad i'm glad that some staples kind of stuck around um but uh so then the record got released on on subsidy like a year later got reissued basically um yeah was that kind of uh do you remember like was that kind of just like an easy transition because the record was already done and they just kind of wanted to re-release it and was that like a part of um like sort of the deal because the next record illusion safety came out on subsidy as well
1: yeah uh- so yeah we basically signed to them and they were like you know let us help help you get this out there more so uh, they bought it from, or the distro rights or whatever from the, the guys who've been helping us. And, uh, yeah, so that was cool. That was, we actually have an EP though before that, which was our first recording, um, called first depressions.
0: And, Just rough. <laughs> and is that, is so would that have been the first time you recorded for that EP?
1: Yeah. Uh, who'd you that do was, that with? This guy, Brian Toshlin, I think is, was his, his name. um, and he had a studio. I don't know if he still does, but it was uh interesting interesting place. Uh there's a lot of cat hair. Uh he was playing Spyro most of the time. Uh and then
0: Was it like yeah, at his house?
1: No, it was it built into like a industrial space in Anaheim, I think. Okay. Um but yeah. It's <laughs> it was i mean very cool being you know i was um i think it was i guess i was 18 maybe yeah like recording and um
0: do you remember yeah, much was, do you remember much about like how you felt recording for the first time like were you nervous were you excited
1: I mean, it's just super exciting because it's you it's uh i don't know it's kind of a, a black box of an art at that point you're like how is it how does this happen you know yeah. and um yeah it's like you're you're going to the the wizard who can make the thing happen right because you're like he he has the magic the tools they can do it yeah like yeah. um this is before you could do that easily at home or anything you know so yeah uh yeah super exciting and just felt like i don't know if like you're like just getting crappy takeout and bringing it back in there, and sitting on a shitty, smelly couch and <laughs> listening to your bandmate like play in the other room. I don't know. It's it's cool. That's fun.
0: Uh, a, a kind of a, a reoccurring thing that gets brought up. That's always kind of fun to talk about. Now is like, do you uh, do you remember what it kind of felt like hearing your voice back? Actually, the first time, like in that setting, because it's so different. You you get so used to knowing you, to just like thinking how you sound when you're. Have the wall of music behind you, but then having to go up and actually do the vocals into just you know the isolated mic, and then hearing it back like sometimes that can that can be a little jarring.
1: Yeah, i I don't have a specific memory of feeling like it was good or bad. I remember like you know like layering. We had a lot of like three part harmonies and shit, and like hearing those like being like oh man. <laughs>
0: Like excited.
1: Yeah. Like um, doing it. It sounds right. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome.
1: Uh, I, I mean, if you if you listen to that now, I sound like someone is pinching my balls very hard. Sure. Uh, so high.
0: It's so funny. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh we could we'll put a quick pin in the in uh in the label stuff for a second. Just uh move to um did did Thrice tour at all before like in those days like did you do any short weekend warrior tours or yeah so we would
1: play a bunch um just anywhere that was drivable that wasn't super far so we would do um up to ventura a lot la san diego um vegas and like Like Phoenix. phoenix tucson sometimes um I'm trying to th- I don't know if we went to San Fran before we were signed or not. Um, but yeah, we'd play and then play like local shows too. But uh, we would do little trips with like Curl Up and Die like, and then uh, Take In and um, yeah, that stuff was fun. Just, you know, just you book it yourself, basically make it happen and.
0: Yeah, I was was did you do like a like a string of like maybe like three or four shows in a row and kind of feel like it was a small mini tour?
1: Yeah, I'm sure we because we would do like stuff where like Quad would come out here and we'd play a show and then go to Galena or something and I don't know. Um, yeah, the first like real, I feel like the first real tour like that we would call like that was our first tour was when we were signed, like right afterwards and we did a tour driving out to South by Southwest, uh, opening for Sam I Am, which was super rad. Wow. Um and yeah, like that was back when like you could smoke in every club and I just remember like watching the other bands play and like seeing smoke come out of someone's mouth who wasn't smoking because it was just so dense in there. It's like that's horrible. Um Yeah and uh we played our like a showcase at south by uh and our booking agent now booking agent was there to like see us and we i remember feeling just like we played a horrible show and i was so bummed because i thought he wasn't gonna book us um but yeah he's still our booking agent to this day wow i was getting i was getting shocked the entire time (gasps) and i had to pee really bad like shocked by the microphone um (sighs) But I remember just in the in the parking lot, my black dyed black bangs hanging over my face, just being like, hmm, it's not gonna book us.
0: <laughs> Little did you know. That's uh, that'd be Ellis, right? He's been he's been yeah. with you since then. Wow. Yeah. Respect. Res- respect yeah. for holding on. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a that's a funny thing that hasn't been talked about on the show. The anxiety of uh getting shocked by the microphone i'm sure that's that stuck for a long time i'm sure it still happens probably right a little bit the the like nervousness walking up to the mic the first you know
1: when you get the like no yeah that it goes away after a while but then it will get you um when you least expect in in europe it still is uh can be an issue i think mostly because the weird if you're using pedals oh right the converters and stuff totally messing with everything so uh Oh yeah, it's the freaking worst though.
0: We ha- when you're young and you have to take your sock off your shoe and put the sock on the on the microphone to avoid that. <laughs> <it. laughs> um,
1: we had these. Oh, we I don't know why we used these in the beginning, but like our first show, and for a while after, we definitely used like like these like the foam, but like the round ones that go over like the fifty-seven. Like we had those on stage. we were using like. Red and blue ones. I right. Why we thought that was necessary, but I think it was because we're like, we're just rocking so hard to like protect our face. I don't know.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. um I, f- I think I'd heard, is one of your, is another one of the early thrice tours. Did you guys hop on a tour with like American Nightmare, HopeCon, that tour?
1: Oh, uh, that was not super, super early, but it was, I mean, it was definitely early. Early ish, um, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a tour which will live in infamy because there was some terrible miscommunication. I had, we were driving all the way out to Pittsburgh to start the shows American Nightmare, uh, Hope Conspiracy and Converge. So it's like three Boston hardcore bands and yeah. then us who are like don't fit on any shows because we're not like heavy enough or soft enough or whatever. And we're going out there. We're super stoked. Um and I get sick like the day we leave. So we're driving across the country and I'm just in the back of the van, just like miserable, just oh. dying. And we're trying to get to the Pittsburgh show that night and we had the wrong address. We were driving, it was the same street, but it was in the next town over, mm-hmm. like connected. And Pittsburgh traffic can be pretty insane uh, with all the bridges and everything. So we, by the time we realized we were at the wrong spot, like there was no way we were going to get to the show and I was already, like, I couldn't couldn't make noise with my mouth, like, on it, like oh, at all. And In a way, it's a
0: relief, probably. For well, you. so we
1: called, yeah, so we called our booking agent. He's like, oh, just go to the next town, get Dustin rested, and I'll I'll tell them, like, whatever. So I don't know who did this, but, like, somehow, like, we showed up the next day, and it was, like, the worst vibe. Like, everyone seemed like they hated us, and we were like, what's happening? And finally, like, we're like, wait, what's
0: what's going on like
1: and they're like you guys thought you're like you're too too good to play that like that show yesterday too big for it or whatever we're like what what are you (laughs) talking about like and somehow they had someone had told them that like we were like too cool to like play that show so we skipped it and they were like pissed and so apparently on stage they like made a fake us and gone on and like made fun of us and like our fans had brought like cookies are like oh yeah we'll give it to them then they're just like i don't know like ate it in front of them <laughs> like, <laughs> and they ended up feeling really bad Okay. um and we became buds but it was like it was the weirdest start to a tour it sucks. So that's bad. a um, that's a
0: that's a rough that's a rough first impression for sure yeah. especially the miscommunication oh my god um, yeah and i
1: think just the nature that they were all buds anyway it just made this like Totally. Who's this band? Um, yeah,
0: that's tough. I went to, I remember that tour because I went to that show at the Troubadour because that's like one of the, that's like such an infamous lineup because it was so, at that, that like the the LA show was Converge, American Nightmare, Hope Con, Plains, and Carry On and Carry On played their last show. Like they broke up that night or whatever. So um, it was like, so, that's like such a monumental lineup. But yeah, I remember here because I uh, Hesitation Wins, my other band, I play with Niraj from Hope Con and I think he was the one who told me about uh about you guys being pretty <laughs> young on that tour and yeah, uh hopping sure. on yeah like on the east coast um that's awesome uh all right so uh, well i wanted to ask like so early on with that with like even short tours or or even like going out to to, to do the sam i am thing um did you enjoy touring like did it c- click with you like you you like the travel you like the adventure or um was it potentially the opposite
1: No, I mean, especially in the beginning, it's it's the best thing ever. Like it's it's so, uh, like it's so rough in so many ways, but you don't care. You know, like we would, we'd literally drive for hours trying to find like like we'd pass a hotel that was like thirty nine dollars a night, and we were only going to get one hotel room and just sleep on the floor. And we were like, "Uh, keep going, maybe there's going to be a cheaper one, you know. And you're like.
0: (laughs) <laughs> you drive
1: until you found like $22 somewhere. And but at that time it's four in the morning and you're like, Yeah, that's crazy. And you send we send one person in for the man, you're like, It's just me,
0: it's just me. And, and you all sneak in sneak through in. the back, hope the back, hope the side door is open. Uh, yeah, but it's it's such a blast. Yeah, absolutely. The it, I, I've, it's funny to talk to bands who especially been around for a long time because I always joke that like, um, the trajectory of a band can be measured in how much, how for, uh, how much you sell your t-shirts for. Because like when you start, it's like usually mm. like eight to ten bucks, and then you eventually go, well, maybe we could sell, it for, 12. Yeah. sell it for twelve. You sell for twelve, and you do that for about a year, and you're like, fuck, man, I hate having to deal with ones with singles. And also, <laughs> the band, the band that's headlining the show, they're selling their shirt for fifteen. Maybe we could do fifteen, and then you do fifteen, and, and uh, then you're like, you're like now I have to do a fives and also now, you know, shirts are getting more expensive to print. I think we could do 20 and then you start doing them for 20. Um, all the while the audience and also you're, you're, you're sort of nervous. You've created this inner dialogue that like your audience is going to think you're assholes if you're selling your shirts for $15. But all the while throughout all of this, you've realized that your audience does not care. Your audience yeah. just is happy to support, <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of a thing. And, uh, I think it's the same thing with, with, uh, with hotel rooms in the sense of like, when you start, it's always yeah the, the, not the, the independent or, uh, or motel sixes for so long. Cause yeah, you're paying like the $30. It's always the hard floor and there's like not even shitty carpet in there. So everyone's yeah, has their bad. back hurting. Like <laughs> then you move up to super eight and, uh, and then, you know, eventually maybe micro And then, uh, then, then uh, the, the goal is to eventually get to have two rooms. That's the goal. That's the yes. end. hope. That's the end hope.
1: Yeah, it's just, oh man, that many people trying to share share a room and like be showering in there. It's oh, such a mess. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Um, so yeah, I wanted. So I, I, uh, I yesterday I was like kind of clicking around certain interviews with you, and I got to, uh, I watched an interview where you were asked um, favorite lyricists, mm. and your answer was literally like, okay. You you and I have much in common where you said Leonard Cohen and John mm-hmm. K. Sampson, because those are also my two favorite, like for sure, for sure. So what I wanted to bring up was uh, you signed a subsidy. Mm-hmm. Was being on, was like the weaker than's being on subsidy, something of like a, oh shit, like we get to be on the same label as the weaker than's. I'm trying
1: to think if I had heard them. Yeah, I had already, yeah, I was already into them because I, I would check out everything that came through the record store, you know, like you'd stuff would come in and we had like a shrink wrapper in the back. So like you could open it. And you would just open, you just open <laughs> shit and listen to it and then put it back. Um, and I had that. Oh, but and then a lot of times though, you'd get the like promos sent to the store too. So you could put sure. it in the store. Um, and so I remember I would like Prop Gandhi and I like, was like, Oh, this is a guy from Prop Gandhi. Check it out. And I, I had it on. I was like, I don't know about this, I guess. I don't know. And I, like I left it on for like a week in my room and then one day it just clicked and I was like, Oh my gosh, I love this. Um, but that was, that was the first, that was, uh, uh, Fallows. Yeah. Um, Oh man. So good though. Um, I think, yeah, so I was stoked on that and I got to meet him when they came through chain one time. So it's backstage with him and like, trying to like talk about stuff. And I, I think I said something about like maybe left and leave and just come out or something. I don't know. And I was yeah. like, I read this really great review of the record. It was like stoked. I was like, he's like, I don't read that stuff. <laughs> like, and <it> was, like <laughs> I felt like so small. I was like, Aww. Oh, and, like I, he was not trying to be mean, but like it just totally was just like at that point of like, the stuff is just not, it's not helpful to me. I'm just doing my thing. But like, right. I I, I was, I definitely felt bad. And I was like,
0: okay. It's one of the things that, that seems so, uh, it's, to him it's probably so inconsequential. Like, yes. does like it's not even whatever, but to you, you're like, oh no, I said maybe I said the wrong thing. Yes, definitely. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I wonder if that was, uh, cause I saw, I saw them on that, the left and leaving tour too, is at the troubadour, but it was, and I remember that, I just brought it up on a, on a, and on another episode, but uh, Dashboard opened, which was crazy to think about, like, mm-hmm. how long ago that had to have been. Um, the fact that Dashboard was supporting the Weaker Thins.
1: That's interesting, because I saw them. I wonder if they must have done two tours in that, because I saw them. That was that tour, and I saw them play it. Chain and Coos. You saw them at Coos? Dude. it Damn. was it, That's, like, a, one of the best shows I've ever seen, like, hearing, like, Without Mythologies, like... In that little wooden room was like, oh my god, it sounded so good.
0: It was wow, rad. yo, yeah. for uh, for for listeners at home, Coos Cafe, God, that that that's a venue that has not been talked about on this show because you know you're you're Orange County guy, but Coos Cafe when it started at least was was a it was this house venue on a busy street on the corner, and it had like, like a an white
1: old house, like white picket fence. <laughs> <laughs> it like a, but it was like an art commune thing, too. So it's like painted all inside, but it's all wood. And you played in what was the living room. But like of an old house, it was very small. Like So small. Probably that whole room was maybe like 20 by 12. Wouldn't it be something? interesting
0: to be able to walk into that room now and oh, see man, it and yeah. feel how small it is?
1: It would, it would feel even smaller, yeah. But you, So you could kind of watch from outside through these plastic windows. Or you could watch If inside, you're lucky to be inside. Just on the floor. There's no stage. There's no
0: bands no, sold their merch the, on the only, front porch. The
1: PA was only for vocals.
0: Oh, it's true. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow.
1: because uh, it was so tiny. But it was it was a very cool spot.
0: Yeah. I mean that I was, was and it
1: was a, uh, in the it's a five dollar donation, but you had to donate.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like mand- mandatory donation. <laughs> like you
1: try to walk through, they're like, no.
0: Right. Donation. <laughs> uh yeah. I remember yeah, bands sold their merch on the front porch. Um I mean that was the spot where I'd always see, yeah, you know, like taken curl up and die. And um, but you know, the friends like Joey and I'm sure you have like you just mentioned the weaker things like ha- some friends have sh- have seen like some very crazy shows there. Like yeah. I-, I think I think both Ray and Joey saw like Bright Eyes play at Coos. Oh, I saw
1: I saw yeah, Connor played solo there. And then I mean it was called Bright Eyes, but it was when yeah. he would sometimes just go to himself. We saw botch there which was insane oh my god uh, zeo was super gnarly in, there, in that room um yeah so many, you, so many good shows
0: i know like uh i think they saw like the get up kids there which would probably make sense um i
1: didn't i didn't see the get up kids there i saw we saw a casket lottery there mm. that was rad um yeah it was, it was such a fun venue
0: yeah, I, it's it lives in infamy. But then, yeah, it eventually it eventually uh, got shut down, and then moved, Then it opened up a, sec, a new location in uh yeah, I, I never Long went there Beach. actually. Yeah. It was okay. It was just, it was in like a warehouse. You know, it, it you always yeah. get sort of rom, you romanticize the original venue. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh man, the original coos. Uh, but there were some good shows uh, that I saw at the the Long Beach one, like. Breather Resist and Cursed, that's where we went through there. And seeing that, you know, uh, you could have put that in any room. It, it didn't matter the name of the venue. It was just exciting to see, you know. But, uh, yeah, never never, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to go to a as much because I'm from L.A., but I would always try to make the drive whenever something special happened. But, yeah. I mean, I remember, like, seeing Curl Up and Die and, like, watching Mike Minick do a backflip off the wall in there and being like, <laughs> okay, this man's cool. Like, I'm, I'm down.
1: <laughs> oh, Minnick. Yeah, he... He toured and did merch with us for a little bit. Really? Um, randomly. That was so fun having him. Uh, he, I think he did. He had to. Uh, I don't know if you knew Anthony who did their merch, but he would I don't think uh, so. come out with us too. But I feel like Minnick came with us and did merch one time. And he would come and sing at the end of To Waken the Venge of the Dead and do like screaming. I remember him running up the security guard's back like this huge dude, and just he just ran up his back and over the top of because he weighs like ten pounds.
0: Right, sure, yeah, uh, very agile little guy. That's that's certainly for sure. Um, so you guys did a identity crisis with uh with Paul Miner, um, and I was just curious if was he for that time especially, because I, I, he's obviously still active, but like for that time especially, was he sort of the go-to Orange County producer because he was Death by Stereo and worked with a bunch of, you know, bands of that sort of nature? Or was that someone that you had a prior relationship or or how did that kind of come your way? Do you remember?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember how that, I mean, we loved Death by Stereo. And then I wonder, I feel like Tepe might have, interned at for the record for a bit now that i'm thinking about this mm. and had met him or something something like that i think had happened but yeah i mean either way we were really excited to work with him because we loved up by serio and this was like a more legit studio than the first one we would worked at yeah and uh he was great to work with super sweet dude and um i feel like had a good handle of like how to guide a young band through a short recording process you know and like yeah it was like a week, week or i think it was like two weeks separated by a little while um but yeah so he's great yeah oh
0: that's awesome um and then i was curious because uh, allusion to safety you guys did that with brian mcturnan and uh i was curious how it felt getting to like because yeah, i'm assuming you did that on the east coast and in, in uh in maryland. maryland maryland yeah, yeah. um how that felt like, you know, being in this band that's from California. Now you're driving out and you get to, you know, you're actually doing a record on the East coast. Like, uh, was that like a special feeling or, or, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was
1: super cool. Um, and we, we actually flew. I don't know why we flew. I don't know. We might've just made more some, sense. Yeah. Some of our gear and we flew and then the best part was we, I think it was our first time flying out of LA as a band. Probably it was our first time flying as a band, probably. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, so we're we go there, and I freaking hate LAX, and it's so confusing and weird and whatever. And we get to our gate, and we're sitting there, and we're waiting, and we're waiting for like the number of our plane to show up on the thing. We were and we were early, and uh, <laughs> essentially, we, we sat there while our plane took off I think because they had moved it and we didn't understand how oh, it, like, like they like moved the worked. terminal yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we just just sat man it's weird they're not announcing anything and just missed our plane and then had to like find another plane whatever we ended up getting in super late and it was it was I think it was like 12 at night like something like dark whatever and brian's like yeah just go in the back door and there's bunks like go to sleep. We'll see you in the morning. So like we went to bed in like at the studio in his house, like in his basement yeah. without ever meeting him. And then like woke up to him coming down with the dogs, be like, Hey guys.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: it was super, super random and weird, but, but fun. Um,
0: and how yeah, long that was that? Mean, how long was that a recording session?
1: Um, I feel like that was, I'm going to say two and a half weeks, something like that. Like maybe three total with mixing. Mm-hmm. He, mi- he mixed it there. Um, yeah, it was pretty short, but I mean, it felt felt like a long time too. Um, but def- yeah, just working, you know, nutty hours. I don't know how he sustained doing that all the time. It was not, I think, good for him at for Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, I mean, yeah, you'd start at 10 and go late into the night, you know, so...
0: When that record came out, I felt like it—it it, like totally kind of swept the landscape. Do you remember uh, any moments where it felt like there was a, a, a shift in the band's popularity?
1: Yeah, I mean that definitely was um, kind of the first like whoa, like and that was also like it did you know very well for a indie record at that time. You totally. Know, which, um. So after it came out, these major labels were talking to us. And it was just that weird time when there was.
0: But that was all a, happening. A, a,
1: a thing to have, yeah, whatever. And so, um, yeah. What, weird.
0: Yeah. I wanted to kind of ask about that. So my, uh, my buddy, Dan, uh, has a book coming out soon called sell out, which is all about, uh, like punk and hardcore bands signing to majors. Like he, did, he does it like every year. There's a different band. So for like 2002, uh, it's like a chapter on Thursday, basically, um, both you both thrice Thursday and like Rival Schools all ended up on, on, uh, on Island Records. Um, I was just kind of curious, like, uh, how that, like, did you feel sort of insulated because you, you knew that there were some other bands in your world that were also signing to, to Island? Like, did that, was there like a little bit of comfort knowing that you had the Rival Schools that you had? thursday even though i think your record I, might I have come I, out a little before thursdays
1: yeah i don't remember the order of all that but i think rival schools think for, for us it was just we just decided like all right we don't have to do any of this like so if it doesn't feel right we're not gonna do it yeah like uh but let's hear people out and uh, they were definitely the ones that we just felt most comfortable with it seemed like the team there like got us in a sense and understood that we were trying to be like a career rock band, not like trying to write a radio hit. Not, you know, like yeah. it seemed, it seemed like they're like, yeah, like we get that you're trying to do this for long haul. You're not trying to be a flash in the pan, whatever. Like, and so there wasn't like a pressure to like do anything different really. It was just like, make a record, like make another record. Cool. Like, and so it was cool there until it just the whole team shifted eventually to where there was almost no one there that we had signed with and been with. They were just looking at us like, Why are you here?
0: Yeah. That seemed to have been the kind of the common um the common thing between a lot of the bands, whether it was island or whatever, where all of the labels around that time started to just sort of cannibalize each other or like yeah. and then yeah, the people you signed with and the the team that you worked with when they were all new your band and were excited about it, they're no longer there anymore. And there's this new staff that needs to sort of know how to operate your kind of music, and maybe they just don't get it, or or whatever the situation might be. And I, I know that yeah. was kind of like the downfall for a lot of these bands. Um, but when you signed, you felt like they had an understanding of what you were trying to accomplish, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: it was it was exciting, and and we had a pretty great relationship with them, and until everything shifted, so.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean that the artist in the ambulance record. I remember you like you couldn't escape that thing. That was I was working at a record (laughs) store at the time, and I mean we blew through so many copies of that record. It was you know it was exciting to see. Also because you're you know you're not exactly a hometown band to LA, but you felt close enough to where you were excited that a band from you know forty five minutes away is is doing so well. Um, And then I know you did the the follow up record uh, Visu with uh, with Steve Osborne, who was like. A totally unexpected producer because like yeah it's like that person does like did like doves and all sorts of like very obscure or not even obscure but like very different kind yeah. of indie rock um
1: yeah a lot of like british indie stuff and um yeah we did that mostly because we were trying to find someone just outside our comfort zone like outside because we wanted to make a different record uh, we were frustrated that we were kind of rushed on the last one and um I mean that was no one's fault but our own really because we had a tour lined up and all that but um it just didn't it wasn't everything that we wanted it to be like uh as we're like we're gonna take our time we're gonna do it totally different we're gonna find someone outside of our box and um and also to be honest like the demos were like scaring other producers away like they're like I don't know what you're doing like I don't know like I think hearing uh artists and then being like I don't think you know what you're trying to do and we're like no we do it's just it's different like yeah <laughs> and so and so Steve had no context he was like yeah that sounds cool like and he, I think he was excited too to work with something heavier and um he's
0: great he's a, it's just the sweetest dude uh do you think that he felt any intimidation maybe if he checked out the previous work and was maybe like why does this man want to work with me and then maybe like was there anything like that you felt
1: uh i mean we i think he understood that we were trying to like go go outside our box and i i think he was comfortable trying to do that for himself too so um it was cool
0: yeah i often say like so a lot of my favorite records are when producers who are tackling a genre that they Mm -hmm. don't normally do you often get the coolest results because you could feel that it's exciting for those people too Mm -hmm. to take on the challenge and do something that you know maybe they become pigeonholed in a certain genre but uh, granted yes you were trying to do something along more along the lines of what he was used to but you're still tackling it with someone that isn't normally making that kind of music so it's like kind of a growing process together
1: yeah and, and you don't have easy answers for anything then right you don't have your set response so you it spurs more creativity
0: yeah for sure for sure um after that you you guys ended up signing to to vagrant and um you did the alchemy records and I know you, those are the then that was the first records you guys recorded yourselves right
1: yes um that was the first one we did ourselves, and was a just totally different process in every way because we were you know writing to these themes that we'd made for you know these four different sounds and um So we were like in, we built that little garage studio and we were, you know, kind of writing and recording at the same time for a while. Um, Yeah. So very, very different experience than like, all right, you get everything ready and then you're in the studio really quick and then you're done. Um, But that was, I mean, definitely one of the Mm -hmm. most fun projects we've ever worked on. It was a lot, but it was great.
0: Was it, was it ever, did you ever find it hard to like let go? And let the let the songs be done because now you're in control. You're the ones behind the behind the board. Like, did you? Was it hard to figure out when the song was done? Ever? Hmm. Because you sometimes people get that tendency to keep adding to it, yeah, or like subtracting or or whatever. We
1: always end up having like deadlines that are pushing us to get it done, which I think is helpful for us. Yeah. Uh, On that on that one, I think it was more that it was such a such a like. specific direction we were going with everything that it wasn't as difficult to like finish and decide what was actually, you know, going to be in each one. Cause it was like six songs in each one. And so even though you're doing 24 songs total, like it's more manageable mm-hmm. thinking about it in these chunks. Um, and so I, I think it didn't feel quite as much like we could just keep working on this
0: forever. So. Right. I like the, uh, sometimes you when you see details of situations you can kind of make up your own like storyline of what happened. I just like the idea of being like in my head of, of you guys like, Hey Vagrant. Yeah. We'll sign your label, but we're going to put out two records within a year of each other. Um, there it's, there's this whole story behind what each section is and we're recording it ourselves. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, what actually happened with that was (laughs) we recorded that wall on Island. Oh, Island. I think even though it was all different people now, they're like, well, there's 24 songs. There's got to be a single in there somewhere, right? And so they're just like, <laughs> they just kind of waited. And then like we showed them and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know if we want to put this out. And we're like, well, we don't want you to put it out either. And so we ended up forfeiting half of our advance, but keeping the record, which was like, that sounds great to us. Like I just, we put so much work into this. Like totally do not want you shelving it so um that was a good kind of ransom situation Uh, yeah and then we we i was curious how that how that ended how that relationship did sign us before they'd heard it ah um so um yeah i think they just there was enough of a history there that they were like yeah we just we like your band we want to put it out so
0: yeah that's always nice to just know that no like they just believe in the band regardless yes that was
1: like that was a huge thing for us was like that's cool like that they're not looking to just have like, how do we profit off this one record? Like let's actually have a good working relationship. And, um, yeah. So when we set up like a, a profit split with them, which is like the first time we've done that. So, which I think is a really, um, we have that at epitaph too, but it's a really healthy way to do work with a label because everyone's on the hook for the same stuff. So, mm-hmm. You're like we're all deciding to spend this money because we're all like have to recoup it to before we make our money and um, yeah, so just it feels a bit more democratic as like a whole venture. Uh, Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's that's great advice too. Um, So I mean, we don't have to go through each record and what, but you know. I know you guys self uh, self recorded a couple other records, then you went back to some producers, but now this newest one you guys did yourselves, right?
1: Yeah, so the new one we recorded Alchemy Index ourselves, we recorded Beggars ourselves, and had someone else mix it, and then uh, we recorded half of the last record uh, ourselves, and did the drums and vocals with um, <clears throat> the producer. So, but yeah, this is the first time like back in our own studio, this is a new studio that actually is not uh, a tiny garage in a closet basically. So, uh, built into a small industrial space and, um, so it actually is big enough to get decent drum sounds and, um, yeah, I, I'm so happy that we have it. It's like, uh, pretty close to all of our houses, so it's easy to get there and, do shorter sessions if we want to and and especially for us like doing like we're gone so much on tour that like when you go somewhere else to record that's rough like it's like another thing where you're like okay bye family again um
0: the expenses that come with it all of that yeah
1: yeah or like you know driving to LA every day like to record sucks and um so yeah uh it's great we're really really happy with it and I'm very happy with how the
0: record turned out did uh, was the decision to record it yourselves was that already in the works or was or did uh, the shutdown have anything to do with it?
1: Uh, it was already a trajectory, like we had we got the space um, last record and like built the soundproofing, so we were actually like writing and recording or writing in there, but it wasn't set up for like recording yet, mm-hmm. um, and then used a good chunk of some of the money from last time and then some of the money from this time to like finish it out so
0: is the idea yeah. to keep it just like for thrice recording or is there any sort of like you know i mean we to haven't really talked about but it's
1: yeah. at this point it's it's pretty much just our little like headquarters you know it's like all our storage is there like um i don't know i mean it would depend on that if it was right in the middle of like a larger you know break from touring and we weren't writing a bunch of the time it's possible
0: but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's great to have something where you could be so self sustaining. Where it's like, you know, you want to go record <laughs> demos, you want to go start working on another record. It's like, it's right there, it's like you already have the space. Yeah, for and, it. and
1: we were doing the math, and like the money we we're paying for what we were getting out of like a, sto- a storage space and a like a practice spot, and whatever. It's like we're paying a, a little more here, but the amount we're getting for that is like enormous. So,
0: totally. Yeah totally yeah um uh, that 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 makes perfect sense i remember uh like the guys in manchester i think we, the first time you and i really like talk talked was uh, uh we were introduced from like with uh andy hall and kevin devine um at a show up in uh, orange county but um i remember seeing like manchester spot where like they have like this house that they record in that they yeah, i was very,
1: very jealous of that when they but, oh uh, like, so yeah we have a whole house
0: yeah the they print their merch in the garage they have a they ship out the, i was just like you guys do you guys realize how diy actually like punk you guys are <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> for like a band that doesn't sound like that it's so sick yeah that's super cool <laughs> um well shit man I'll, I'll hit you with the last question which is uh do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards
1: um I feel like that's hard to answer because there's like so many little spots. like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it's kind of the way that I would like to describe the way we started is always like, there was just a thing that we were like, wouldn't it be cool if we recorded? Like, Yeah. Or wouldn't it be cool if we played a show? And then it was like, wouldn't it be cool if we played like a, a real show that wasn't in a house? And it was like at a club. And then we did that. And it was like, Oh man, what if we got signed? Like, and so it was just always like, a small like step you know like oh that's that's the next thing um oh i guess okay so here's the i forgot what the, the moment we sold out the old house of blues in anaheim um that was i feel like we were like oh my gosh this is crazy like yeah it just it felt because that i mean we'd been playing you know clubs that were like 400 something, you know, and then that I think held like almost a thousand and yeah, it sold out super fast. And we're like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. So that, I think that was a big moment where we felt like we were doing it. You know,
0: was that like illusion of safety era?
1: I feel like it was like same time that like illusion had come out and we were like talking to labels and then that happened. Like it was just kind of all these things happening at once. Um, yeah
0: those moments are always so exciting too. Cause it's like it, almost in a way you can kind of show your parents where you're like, Hey, look no, totally you.
1: like that. Like our parents came to that show <laughs> and it was like, look, there's a bunch of people here. Like,
0: yeah, they know yeah. our words. Like this isn't just for me and my yeah. friends. Like this is, this is a little more outside of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's a great answer. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this tour. I, uh, I, I can't wait to just, get back on stage and and all of this here's actually i want to ask you uh i was just actually text, actually texting with andy hole uh yesterday about this because he's been practicing and we just had our one practice before this tour on sunday nice. and um uh, have you ever felt like taking this much time away from raising your voice and stuff i've never had this before if my throat like not like a sore throat like i'm sick or anything like that but like the muscles in my throat felt really like exhausted like as if i was doing squats with my neck hmm. or something you know what i'm saying like i'd never felt that before have, have you felt any sort of like weird uh physical things once you started playing again because it'd been so long um
1: i got, right in the beginning of us uh practicing i had a really bad sinus infection so it was like uh-huh bad because of that and so i was yeah slowly easing back in so i was like kind of singing i was doing days where i was singing like an octave down just to like get to go through the motions so i kind of warmed back in through being sick um, oh, okay so yeah i'm hoping that i always feel like as much as i try to get it ready the first show i always am like messed up afterwards like it's like i don't know why you can't duplicate it in the like practice room or whatever but I I always feel differently like it I stress it out differently but I'm hoping that we've been doing like enough of these things like every day that it's warming it up slowly so we'll see
0: yeah yeah I'm, expe- I'm expecting the first like so we start at Furnace Fest and then we meet up with y'all in uh in Atlanta but I'm expecting Furnace Fest I'm just gonna I'm glad we actually have two days off before we meet up with you in Atlanta because I have a feeling I'm gonna
1: yeah, that's really sometimes that's the it. way I think is like kind of blowing out and then getting a little bit of rest. And then it's like, okay, okay, I get it.
0: Yeah, the first week of tour, I'm I'm pretty shot. But I can still yell. So it's like as long as I can do my job, I'm, I'm good. But yeah, I have a feeling there's going to be some real fire in all of our tanks after uh, this much time away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Dustin. This is great. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dustin for coming on. We hope to see you out on the road. Check out the tour dates starting in Atlanta and circling the entire U.S. We are likely coming to your town. Hit up the Patreon if you want the bonus content. That's patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And lastly, if you have not subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're enjoying this, I would really appreciate it. All right. I'll see you next week. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.